0: Hi, morning. So I really shouldn't be doing this even today. We are up to here with preparation of the Shalom Zachar tonight, I'm happy to say, and uh tomorrow hopefully we'll be the brith somewhere. And not a big affair. Um and I got a thousand things running through my mind, but I'm trying to keep to my schedule. Last year I started Parshas in Noah. So it's almost a year now we have been doing these. So I'm I'm an organized person, I'm trying to stay with a certain schedule um as you know, this week is partial gracious because of a brisk tomorrow coming up, so my naturally my mind thinks on brisk things uh, that that that's kind of normal and uh in general Parshas um Brachish is very weird, as we all know. the mission says in Bracious you shouldn't teach it at what's a class of one or two I don't remember in the Chagiga. Uh, but in other words, it's very recondite, and the reason is because you know you don't want people to speculate what's going on. You know, Mark says, uh, "How's it going, my son Brachus?" You're not supposed to discuss it in public because uh, people ask, Mala, 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 Mata, Mala, Mala. Far, People start asking. The public out there ain't usually organized to understand something like the story of Bracious, which is a fact because you and I don't understand it either. By that I mean it's not exactly within human comprehension. When you get to these par seriously when it gets to uh, partial braces, we run into some big existential problems for example uh god creates the world out of nothing okay i get that but nothing is also something so where does that come from you understand that's the reason i said that not me is it, w- where's the nothing is the absence of anything a reality it's almost like the aristotelian god you know the the, the existence is just the, the you know the ultimate reality is it nothing the ultimate reality Nothing is also created. You get my point? And then, in which case, you start freaking out. That's why we say, Nicoloma Targum, don't even discuss this. Um, and then it says, God says, It's always he's speaking, God doesn't speak. So right after, you know, he doesn't have a mouth with a voice box and all the rest of it. So right off the bat, you run into the problem in Pasha It's not the only place, but particularly are taking What's literal, what's not literal? And even the things that are not literal and sometimes they're both. In fact, I would say the whole partial is like that. Sometimes it's literal, but the metaphorical meaning is more important than the literal story. Again, that's not me talking to Zohar, says that. From the story level, you can come up with better stories, Shimon of says in the Zohar. But what's the meaning of the story? So uh, the historicity of Adam and Eve is not as interesting to the philosophers like the Rambam and the uh, Ralbag and the Mikobolim as the meaning of the Adam and Eve story. The meaning of the Kain Havel story And that kind of business. And you run into the problem of language because God spoke. I I understand that metaphor, sort of. I don't really. Neither do you, nor does anybody. Not really. Because what does it mean God spoke? Well, he used words. Where did the words come from? Well, Hebrew is a holy language. Why is Hebrew a holy language? Because God spoke it. That's a tautology. Yeah, but where did Hebrew come from? So you say God created Hebrew. When did he do that? So you're saying he created Hebrew language prior to the world. That's already very interesting. Okay. And then you come into the Kabbalistic doctrine that the, the words in Hebrew are magical and have, uh, let's put it this way, a heavenly Matthias, as well as an earthly manifestation of that messiah. That's like a fundamental Kabbalah. I hope I didn't go too far. I mean, it's well known, but I mean, I hope you caught hop what I'm saying. So, for example, when you see there's a word like uh, eight, it's like Plato's ideals. There's an eight out there that exists in Chamayim, if I can use that term. And then, uh, it, by the time it gets down to this world, it, it takes the form of what you and I call a tree. But it's really more than that. So, And, and the, its reality derives from the language, from the words. That's weird stuff I just said. People say, I can't handle that. You know, it's like, just give me Rashi. You know, just give me the plain, uh, you know, the matter says or something like that. Uh, that's what I mean when I say because when you get down to it, it's fascinating stuff. And I guess... I only approach this from this angle when I, you know, hit, <laughs> you know, adulthood, shall we say. Um, and Pasha Braces is a classical case where you have to reach adulthood before you can start to cop what's going on over there. There's a famous story, maybe I said it before, I heard many years from Heshi Weinreb, where he said Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, who first came here in the 30s, I guess, and was in Toronto for a while, isn't that right? And, you know, he used to go to the JCC to swim or whatever. And he saw a guy in the locker room, This in the 30s, and the guy had on a little uh, talus cotton. Like, a, he was an adult and he had a talus cotton like for a five-year-old, four-year-old. And he said, what's that? And the guy wasn't from. So he said, well, I came from Poland. My old man told me back in Poland, I don't know what you're going to do though, when you get to Canada, America. Probably not going to be from. Keep some things. Promise me that you'll always wear this. He gave me talus cotton. And, you know, I keep my promise to my father, up synch memory. And that's why I still wear it. So Riyad Kamenetsky said, yes, he didn't mean to wear that talis cotton. (laughs) He meant to wear a talis cotton. Um, In other words, you make a bigger one. And then Riyad Kamenetsky went on to say, as the story goes, that this is how people approach the Chumash and the Tanakh. You know, what you learn in first grade or fifth grade or or eighth grade is what you do, you keep that talis cotton for the rest of your life. But Parsha's braces is exactly the Parsha which you have to get rid of the old talis cotton and take a bigger talis cotton on there. And then you already have to approach it with the eyes of a, uh, well, let's say, a Rambam or somebody like that. Uh, so, for example, uh, for example, is what does that mean? Well, God created the heaven and the earth. What's the heaven? What's the heaven? Well, it's up there. No, it's not. Shemayim, I mean, we use it sometimes the word for sky, but that's exactly my point. It doesn't mean God created the sky and the earth. That's a dumbbell. That's a, a first grade shot. Right, because the universe is what's created, so all the existing physical things are created in that pasuk. No, but Shammai means some, so. What does Shammai means? The answer is it means the metaphysical, right? The, a, another world that exists in a different dimension. Uh, this is a Judaism one on one, and it's a spiritual world. So listen closely. It does exist, but it's not in time and space. So what does that mean? Not everything that exists is only within the dimension of time and space. That's the physical world that you and I inhabit in our physical way that you and I look around at us now. But there's another world also, a spiritual world. I hate the word spiritual. There's another world also that exists. It's not in time and space. Whoa, that's pretty heavy. So, first God created the metaphysical, and then the arts, then the physical universe. Arts doesn't mean the ground or the land. It means the entire set of universes, whatever whatever science can comprehend. So, first of all, notice that the metaphysical came first, hence the Kabbalistic insistence on the priority of the uh, metaphysical over the physical. The olamas, you know, come first. So first God said, let there be light in those olamas, and then by the time it came down to us, it assumes the form of whatever or is. But again, I'm just trying to tell you, shamayim and arts don't mean what you ordinarily think they mean. Uh, It's fun to do, as long as you don't get messed up, but... It's require it, it, to do it that way is a requirement. Or or, it's not a light um like we have because the sun and the moon and the stars don't come later. Although there is an opinion of Chazal that is the same like but the poshness this is it's something different. So if it's not light in the sense that you and I see, you know, with the spectrum and all that business, so then what is or? And the, you, by the time you finish working your way through this, they come up that the, the or means knowledge. So vayemal or means. Before we create anything, let's have a plan. Let's have a, or a, a, a plan. What we call in English, intelligent design, which is obvious to any scientist. You, know, you look around the universe, you see things run on mathematical principles. The planets don't crash onto each other. The atoms and the uh, you know, neutrons and all that kind of fit together in a certain way. And they follow rules, do they not? Who made those rules up? Where did they come from? You see, it's intelligent design. The classic religious argument. Now, by the way, I guess, from a, a Darwinian point of view, you can say they tried everything else to this plot together. That's the beauty of the evolutionary way. But putting that aside, you see intelligent design. Vayir mil kim or let to be knowledge. That's why we make a big deal about or in the Besamigdash and the Mishkan and all the rest of it. I know eventually we use the word or for light, but that's a dumbing down of it, a, a vulgarization um, because when light is on, I can see. So, you know, it's a, it, it's a way of conveying knowledge to me. I, I become aware of things through light that I couldn't see when it was dark. But the original Choshech, and the original, or it's not light and darkness, it's, you know, absence of knowledge and knowledge. But I repeat, even the absence of knowledge is a created concept, because God's creating literally everything, including the nothing. And so, all of a sudden... Parshas will become very very difficult. It's interesting if you have a certain t- t- take in mind, but you have to be an archaeologist of the text. You understand? You have to know what do the words mean? You have to t- like claw your way back and forth, and you won't get clear answers. You will not get clear answers. Uh, you know where does time come from? Uh, the Ramam touches on this in some places. So it never gets really super into it, but uh, some do. But you know, it's a, all I'm saying is Parshas Bracha is a, therefore extremely uh, fascinating, but Difficult to decode from an adult level. And by the way, that's the shot that God saw the ore was the what, human race was not fitting for it, and so He saved it or hagonus, for its Sadikim lost level, which means there's a certain level of knowledge that if the human race has it before they're morally ready for it, all they'll do is use that knowledge to destroy the world, which is what we're doing as I speak, right? They're so using the knowledge in the last hundred years create A bombs and this and, that and destroy the planet and you know, the ecology, all that business, global warming, the guns of business. I don't know which part is real, but overall, generally, we are not heading in a good direction, in the human race. Um, as we all know. And that means, you know, they got too much ore now and and they the uh the of the the morality of it hasn't caught up with that. And so instead of using science, you know, to to conquer cancer, they're using to create worse weapons to vulgarize this. So these are ideas you see very beginning of Khamish, way back when. Way back when. And so on and so on one onward, onward. Now, all this is just by way of a rambling introduction. just wanted to concentrate on one point, because there's a thousand points in uh, this parasha, as is obvious, right? As is obvious. And uh, since it's a bris, so, um, for my new grandson. So, what do you do for bris? I said many uh, months ago, when I, I did something on the uh, kleoker. So, he's got the Ola Uh Anybody with a common sense, the first thing you do if you have a bris or something like you, you open up the Olusafrayim, he's got to run in every parsha. I look up, uh, that doesn't mean you can, they're all usable, but nevertheless, that's where you start. Or at least, that's what I do. And, um, sure enough, he has of the Olusafrayim. And, you know, he's got to find something in Parsha brisha that has to do with the bris mila. Well, where do you find that? Uh, he does, because he knows everything, the Kliyakar, you know. He's a genius. And so... There's a medrash in this week's parsha, And the medrash rabba, by the way, is unbelievably fascinating, but I just don't have the time now to go into that. I mean, the medrash rabba and breaches and all this is quite remarkable. There's all kinds of things that you wouldn't expect. You know, while I'm doing this, and even though I'm going off in tangents, but who cares, I do want to call your attention to an extremely interesting medrash that I'm recalling now off the top of my head. You can, if you're the type of person who knows how to uh, find things in Medrash you will do this at Shabbos and be you'll find it quite interesting. And I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, it says uh, that Rabbi knows Nasi had a um, secretary, his successor actually, as Rabbi, F, Rabbi Apos. Actually, it's a Greek name, you know, Apos, like a bowl. But in Yeshiva world, they call him Rabbi Ephes, <laughs> even though that's ridiculous. But anyway, uh, so they say Rabbi Ephes, Rabbi Efes, he says he, died, he gave a Drosh in on Antioch. I remember this by heart. Antuchia. So he knows he was abroad in the chutzlarts, raising money probably. And Antioch is north of Syria. Probably ran into these uh, philosophical type Jews or maybe proto Christian type Jews. The context is interesting. And what, what's about what they have in this week's parsha? Because let's face it, Vayahulu is a very unusual word. Um, is it the, from the Ivrit point of view. Right, from the Ivrit point of view. Is it uh, uh from the worship of Kiloyon, destroy, for the word coal, which is all or everything. Um, I don't know, there's a lot of ways of, of explaining this. Uh remember that the uh, the the uncle says that that the world was completed, um they cease. Just because you got the King James Bible translations that eventually end up in the Jewish ones I don't mean that that's exactly the shai You know the Hebrew language of such a nature that admits of many different interpretations. So anyway, he said, and so he says, "Kilo you know, it's like destroyed. What does that mean? After the sin of Adam and Chava, which of course took place on Friday before the first Shabbos, uh, God reacted. It says, by Bimakhe. I think that's the language. He hit time, and time changed. So it used to be the planets went more quickly. As a result is, the planets go do their thing more slowly. I believe that's what it says. You can look it up yourself. It's not hard to find in Neva in this week's Parsha, in the Medu Shop, if you're interested. Uh, which is extraordinary, because here's something that was, took place 2,000 years ago, and one of the leading gedolam of Apus is saying, time today, after the sin of Adam and Eve, is not identical at the time of the first six days of creation. So right off the bat, there's your shot if you want to go that way and say the first six days are six trillion years or whatever they want to do, you know, that that kind of approach. Meaning, it's not only some modernish of art, you know, from Slifkin or somebody like that, that, you know, each day, you know, it's possible. Here you have like a, a Tana who's saying that whatever time is now, it's not exactly what it was once upon a time, <laughs> okay? So it's really great. There's before creation, which there was no time. Then there's the first six days of creation, which is time A, and then there's after the first six days of creation, or specifically after the sin of Vana in which case there's time B. And you and I have been operating on time B. I'm just trying to tell you one example of many in which you find the most remarkable things in Chazal when they try to uh, get, get together on the uh, on Parshish Brashish, But anyway, quickly I want to um, get to this point. Just something I noticed. So I look at Olusafrime and he says, where's the first reference to... Um, a bris meal in this week's power show because after all it doesn't say anywhere like that. And um he says I never would have noticed it. i have gone through the measures a bunch of times, but I, you know you don't notice everything. And uh he says when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Edom, uh was it say by Yashkane, uh what does it say? Uh, 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 kicks man out of, by Garish, he divorced him, he kicked him out of the Garden of Eden, and he uh, placed as a guard that Adam should never be able to return to the Garden of Eden, which means at the door of the Garden of Eden, it's a kruvim, these angels, whatever that means, and then again, these words have no good translation, and he had kruvim and a sword of a certain type, it was misapechus. It was swinging around back and forth. So it sounds like, I mean, it could mean a lot of things, but it sounds like it was constantly swinging, you know, like a fan, Imagine It's constantly going around all the time. So you can't put your finger in any moment because it was constantly swinging. You'll get cut off. So it's like a perfect business. And it's lahat. So in, does that mean hot or flame? Lahat could mean magic also. You remember the uh, sorcerers of Egypt, Belatehem? Uh, they tried to do in Shmos? Meshmore is. To guard the, the 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 way to the Eitz Chaim, because Hashem said I don't want man to get close to Eitz That's why he kicked him out of the Garden of Eden. Isn't that the story? You know, Hashem said now that they eat from the Eitz Das, now they want to go to the to the, to the Chaim. I don't want that. So to block a man from getting Eitz Chaim, he put Kruvim, which is some kind of angel, something like that. Um, and notice it's unclear exactly what the Kruvim are. And number two, he put the swinging sword. Is we shot to crew? We're we're, we're uh, swinging disorder, swinging on its own. So that's the idea. So it's so that's a weird pussock. And to be perfectly honest, I've never really spent a lot of time on that pussock. because it's one of those things that my like who knows what it means. But since it's a bris, so I happened to see Joseph Zefram says in the Medrash that it's a nice vort that uh, you have over here a lot of cherfa misa peches guarding uh, the keeping people away from from there. So, one shot in Chazal, when it says Mekenum Lagan Eden, is a very interesting one. And that is, it doesn't mean East of Eden, like that famous book, uh, which is a Pashem shot, but Mekenum Lagan Eden means Mekodum Lagan Eden. And so, that's a very interesting interpretation that um, the gods surrounded the Garden of Eden with Gehenim. And so now you can, so imagine, for example, a castle with a, a moat around it full of crocodiles, something like that. I'm just making that up. Mekenum he, he didn't want Autumn to, 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 to re-enter the Garden of Eden uh, and get to the Chaim, And so he, it's just a brilliant marshal? It's very uh, uh, thought-provoking. And uh, what he did was he surrounded it. Mekenum As the who says, actually opened it up now. Uh, where is it? He surrounded with something that was Mikem that something was created prior to Ganen. You see, Ganen was created only on the third day, it says, and Gehenim was created on the second day. So that's interesting. But in addition to surrounding Gehenim, he also had a lot of Heavim uh, Misapechas. It was full of flame, so that could burn you in hell. That's the idea, right? Misapechas, La Tosim, Something that just consumes you from top to bottom in fire. Um okay that that that's fine. But then it goes on to say the following. Adam saw this he said, "Oh my god. Amar Adam. me matal as banay Who can save my children my, aunt, my my progeny from this fire?" Meaning, how do you get to the atechayam without getting burnt by the uh, uh the flames of the sword or the uh, the gehenna, the flames of gehenna, that sort of business. And Rav Huna Omar uh Milo, uh, he says, you, "You can say by the by, by the sword, right?" So that's an amazing interpretation. What it means, I think, all you ever get here is my understanding. I could be right, I could be wrong, but I believe this is the shot. Uh, and that is that the the the, the Gan is surrounded by Gehenna. But there is a sword there, okay? And the sword is what enables you to get into Eden. Isn't that amazing? You get you know what I'm saying? It's surrounded by Gehenim, but there's a way to get into Eden without going through Gehenim. And that's the way of the sword. So it's a, a, a weird reading of the words. Uh, I see the Yosef, the commentary on the side says, "Ki acheres Ham,,v." that's that's what it means that's, that's why I hold this in shot which means that I the descendant of Adam and Eve like you are we want to go to Gan Eden whatever that means whether it's a place exactly or not I told you before there's literal there's metaphorical and what drives you crazy is when it comes to Parshish Beresh is both there's a literal and a well as a metaphorical you know that's what people don't understand that's the problem with the uh, left-wingers it, it, it could be both, and it often is. But, of course, the Ghanedian you're looking for is like, you know, uh, heaven, you know, uh, 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 Olam Haba, or something like that, some reward situation. How does man, or any human being, get into this uh, wonderful place? How do you get to that Eitzchayim? The answer is through a sword. What kind of a sword? Mila. And here you have the origins of the concept that the one who has a Mila is safe on Gehenem. You understand? Uh, which is an old Jewish concept. You know, Avram Avinu stands at the gates. You've heard that before, right? Magen Avram. Avram Avinu stands at the gates of uh, hell and, and, and saves anybody as a Pismila. Uh That's a, a nice, uh, it's a gotta way of saying what I just told you over here, in a very heavy way in the Pasuk. So, Vayashkain uh, Mikenim Lagan Eden, he surrounded Gan Eden with Mikenim Lagan Eden, with, with Gehenim, that's Mikodim Lagan but he provided a lot of cherva v'misapachos. But he provided a sword which could be mehapech. So basically, it's, 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 it's inverted the meaning of the metaphor in a brilliant way. The, the sword can sort of, as I understand it, the sword which swings can cut away through Gehenna and say, okay, you come into Gadein in this way. The sword itself is not blocking you. The sword itself affords you the way to get in by imagine that just imagine there was a flame surrounding something and you know you use a sword to like cut away uh, a hole within that flame and then you can enter inside that'd be quite a movie wouldn't it probably somebody made a movie like that uh, and in this case he's saying it's the bris it's the bris mila, or torah Namri torah that's another shot you know that um uh through learning that's a more yeshiva ship shot you know, through learning, the, the, that cherev, uh, even though, how would you say Torah is cherev? But it's a cherev, on him. All right, the first one is a little more sen- sensible because, uh, uh, because, what do you call it? The, the brismila is through a cherev, is through a sword, meaning through a knife. Uh, so here, you if this is true, then you have here the first reference in the Torah to brismila at the beginning of Adam and Eve's story. Meaning, as soon as they sin and they're expelled from Eden... God says like this, he says, if your kids want to get back, uh, they can do so on an individual basis, perhaps, then get the Eitz meaning get eternal life, the, the, perhaps, but it's through Cheriv HaMis Pechas. So he put in the Mila, meaning the concept Mila, at the very origins of uh, 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 of the world, um, before Adam and Eve had children even. But um, is just a remarkable uh, concept. At least I hold it a remarkable concept. I never would have stelled on this or thought about this, if not for the fact that we have Shemba Bris tomorrow. But now that I told you that, you go take a look at that on that Pusuk. And in general, you try to uh, play with it. I looked at Arya Kaplan just to see, you know, sometimes he has different interpretations All the rest of it. In his spooky-wooky way, he likes to do New Age kind of stuff. And uh, he's concentrating on the Kruvim, which are there, because it says Vayashkin is a Kruvim. Uh, According to the interpretation I told you before, the Kruvim are identical with Gehenna. The Kruvim are identical with Gehenim. I know later on they appear in a different way, as as, as angel-looking statues in the base Hamigdash and all the rest of it. And obviously you're dealing with something very heavy. Incidentally, in the Mishkan, you probably didn't notice this, in the Mishkan, the Kruvim are like attached to the aron. In the base Hamigdash of Shlomo, they're not attached to the aron. They're separate, they're just standing above it, sort of, which is kind of interesting, you know. Uh, and Kruvim are one of the nine levels of angels that Maimonides speaks about. You can look up there if you're interested. Uh, but here we're going with the interpretation of the Kruvim. As Rashi says, Malchei Chavola is identical to Gehenim. Uh But, and incidentally, he interprets this, this is Ari e. Kaplan, you know, he says you can't get a prophetic vision without going through uh, difficult times. So this is, this is equal to what you find, like in the Derech Hashem of Ramchal and others, which is a Navi, has to go through hard times like Shaul did, painful, before you hit the Navoa. So if you want to get into the Eitz Achayim, you want to get the the, the real Navoa, you gotta go through the Kruvim and the Ladacher Msapekas. But I like the shot this this week, this year, with the Brits Mila. Uh, and I hope in that school, all of us will be able to uh to use that uh in <laughs> to get to the Derchitzheim, but I've taken longer than I expected to. Look at that, twenty five minutes. Okay, you never know. Anyway, have a good shot. Bye. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.